Join us as we sit down with Tyler Gerskevich, a budding short-term rental investor who took a bet on himself and found success in a niche market of real estate investing. Tyler operates short-term rentals in both Florida and Kentucky. He is seeing great results and continues to expand his business. Tyler dives into exciting deals that he's working on and shares insight from past experience in different fields. We discuss calculating returns, challenges that real estate investors face, how to handle those challenges, and creative ways to set yourself apart from the crowd. For anyone interested in short-term rental investing or keen to add to your knowledge bank, this is a great episode for you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the How To Business Show. Not everything. <laughs> we do try to keep it very conversational. We'll just cold open and just, yeah, casual, conversational, see where it goes. All right. And then just so I can kind of have an understanding of expectations, what time? Just keep 45 going. Minute, 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. If we're rolling and we look at it and it's an hour and a half in, that's fine. All right, gotcha. And then what is most beneficial? Like I said, I mean, I'm willing to share whatever you want to share. What's most beneficial for you or you guys as viewers? So like how to business, just really how, just explaining your story. We'll kind of open it up and, you know, just ask a little bit about what you're doing now. And then we'll maybe explore how you got to where you are and then yep. just roll naturally from there. I mean, off, you know, we might get a little off topic. That's fine. It's not very scripted or anything. Yeah, just be careful with your hands. If you talk with your hands, yeah. It picks it up, and then your phones, make phones sure it's silent vibrate. and ideally off the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But boom. We'll do We'll go. We'll get a little quiet. For Tyler, what's your last name? Gerskevich. Gerskevich. Yeah, it's a tough one to. Uh, yeah, as people say Gerskevich, I go by Tyler G. It's German. It's a Lithuanian, Lithuanian, but nobody knows where that is, so I just say Poland. It's Lithuanian. just it's Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's, it's just north of Poland. Yeah. I always thought Lithuania was in Africa for a really <laughs> long time. I don't know I why. I probably would have, too, if I didn't have but, heritage. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll go quiet real quick. You, you want to introduce it, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of an introduction. Just, well, just uh, cold open. It's a question. Huh? Just a question. No big deal. Open we'll we'll do the intro after. All right, all right. All right, let's get three minutes of silence. <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> you you can tell we did this all the time, right? 33rd time, right, so far? Yeah. yeah. All right. Somebody. My head's all over the place. Tyler, thanks for coming on the How To Business Show. We just met you at a showing where you were looking at a property. You've been slowly increasing your holdings as a real estate investor. You got a couple Airbnbs now. Tell tell the audience what, what you're doing, what you're working towards, and, and kind of what your goals are at the moment with what you got. Yeah, so uh, right now I am a 29-year-old uh, local real estate investor here, uh, specifically focused on short-term rental space um, here and then also open to, to nationwide. I am currently having self-manage as well too so i'm kind of in hands with all aspects of the business as far as purchasing rehabbing and and then ultimately renting out and with that have currently three in jeffersonville one in new albany one in louisville and that we're working on and then another one in new albany that is still in the design phase right now so you own six total properties right now correct and And i guess when did you buy your first one you're 29 when did you buy your first one so the first one would have been bought back in 2017 and it it would have been a primary residence actually for the first year and then that's what started the rental business is we actually myself and ex-fiance we found out we had a whoopsie and at that time we were living in a two-bedroom two-bath house and jeff and well she let me know that we were pregnant and she expected a bigger house Uh, and so with that, I had my mother, or actually I had my whole entire family over for Thanksgiving that year, and so I went to my mother, being being the youngest of 10, and asked her if, you know, we needed a bigger house, because I was like, ah, you know, it seems like a two-bedroom house, could fit all three of us, three kids, and uh, myself and her, 
And uh, mom was like, yeah, you can raise a kid in a dresser drawer. There's no need for a bigger house. So I went back to, back to her with that. And uh, long story short, the two weeks later, we had an offer on a bigger house about twice the size <laughs> so, yeah. over in New Albany. And uh, with it, I still had my W-2 job being a, in the grain export business and the distillery granary servicing. And I was able to swing both payments. And so I've Took a gamble on myself and always thought about doing something in real estate. At that time, Airbnb wasn't as popular as it is now. So I figured, why not just give it a swing? And it also penciled out as a long-term as well, too. So so you all moved into the new house, and then with the old house, you turned that into an Airbnb rental, and that started the, yeah, the yeah. addiction, so to yeah, say. Yeah, a lot of lessons learned there. So the very first thing was uh, renovation-wise really upset upset the ex-fiance at the time because the entire time we lived there I didn't do much to it until we moved out <laughs> and then uh, started putting new kitchen new bathrooms redoing the outside and uh, needless to say I'm willing to try anything but definitely not a professional at anything and and so I did most of the, almost probably 90 percent of that remodel work myself and I was so proud of myself at the time of you know saving so much money doing two bathroom remodels less than four thousand dollars probably at the time and and you know same with the kitchen you know just penny pension and in the grand scheme of things it took me 11 months to do just working at nights you know a few hours after work and ultimately I also missed a lot of family time too yeah. and so it wasn't long then the next project after I said hey the, after I started renting it out and seeing why I was collecting rent and what I missed out on rent those 11 months, I'm like, it doesn't take anybody long to figure out. You're better off just to hire it out, get the thing running, you know, within a matter of a couple months rather than trying to try to do everything of all aspects. And at the grand, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't like remodeling myself anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you, once you get in business, you got to learn not only to pick your poison, but once once you do get settled, it's like, you ought to do what you enjoy doing in the business, not stuff you don't. That's the, one of the easiest things to, you know, reassign to somebody is something that you don't enjoy doing. So yeah. that given said, it that first rental really kicked off. And and at that time, I, th- I thought I was doing really significant. I and mean, I don't know what I need to share number-wise, but we'll just say I made X that first year. And compared to long-term rentals, it was probably anywhere from four to five times that. And so I was really pleased with it. And well, second year, I, I figured I would reinvest in myself and join mastermind of like-minded individuals with short-term rentals. And I also started just following every podcast and any YouTube video I could find, you know, on the topic of short-term rentals. And so just the difference of management, not even any difference of the house itself or the amenities from year one to year two, uh, I literally almost two X what I was doing. Wow. And while at the same time decreasing expenses too. So it was awesome. Yeah. That's and that's, that's when I really knew I tapped into something that was worth ultimately leaving my job for. So. Yeah. And where, where'd you find the idea? Cause like you said, it was a little bit new for Airbnbs where you just watching YouTube and came across the idea of, Oh, I could Airbnb the other house we have. How'd yeah, that? Yeah. So just like Facebook, anytime you get an idea in your head, it almost knows you better than you know yourself. And, and once you either open up one page or even have a thought of open up one page, that's all you see. Yep. <laughs> and so at that time, yeah. And a lot of Airbnbs or the idea of, and a lot of times it, it was an arbitrage, which is you renting out somebody's place, long-term rental and converting those leases into short-term rental, which, you know, it, it there, that's an avenue for some people. It's just not an avenue for it, me. It, that's a needle in a haystack yeah. to find. Cause I, I know like in terms of the guru world, there's a lot of gurus who say, Oh yeah, just rent some other place and, and sublease it as an Airbnb. And then you go and you start looking for those opportunities. <laughs> Every owner you call is like, hell no bleep hangs up. But I love how you touched on, you, you mentioned, and I think this is something a lot of people in real estate who eventually make it, they realize is you look back on the 11 months of flipping it yourself as, well, damn, that was 11 <laughs> months of rent I missed. But if you're watching for like the everyday person who's never done real estate investment, there's a lot of people saying like, yeah, you can flip a house yourself. You can do this yourself. And you see, you meet people who kind of get stuck in that, oh, I got to pinch and save money. And, and it takes them 12 months to flip something. But you were like, oh no, this is rent I've missed. And I love that. I think that's a key point. If anyone who's listening, sure, maybe your first one, you need to penny pinch it and do the work yourself. But as soon as you can let other people do it because it gets done quicker and you can start cash flowing faster. And not only that, but uh, more specifically, 
and we focus this a lot on my mastermind that I'm in, that I've been in last three years, is, you know, investing wise, there's a lot of emotional connections to a lot of beginning investors. And I will say that I was guilty of that. And when you remodel something yourself, you pour your you know heart and soul yeah. and love into that thing. And you may not be financially making the correct decisions for your business later on down the road, let alone the remodel itself. Yeah. Just because of that emotional connection you made with that property. And I mean, I'm sure you're very competent in your carpentry skills, but if you don't know <laughs> that stuff or yeah. even have the tools already, that's a financial investment of itself. I mean, just the tools you need to flip a house, it's probably 10, 15 K alone. Yeah. So I, I was blessed growing up on a, a family farm. It was always a do it yourself kind of thing yeah. because financially wise, there wasn't much spread there to make money in farming. When I left farm, the family farm, I'll never forget one of the conversations my dad had with me was there's a lot of easier ways to make a living than farming. <laughs> and that's for sure. So that's were they sure. happy when you left the farm or was that no, it was, I would say, sentimental, but I think they were ultimately happy that I was pursuing what I felt was right at the time and still do feel was and right at the time. You have 10 siblings, so 11 uh, kids total or uh, nine? Nine siblings, siblings yeah, okay. one to 10. Yep. And how many, of, how many of them are still on the farm? Uh, just one, uh, my oldest brother. Awesome. Yep. That's that's wild. I couldn't imagine growing up in a family that big. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, how, did, how do you, looking back on that, did you think you're so resourcefulness, your resourcefulness comes from being the youngest of 10? Uh, I would definitely think my independence. Yeah. You, you had to, you know, think for yourself, defend for yourself kind of thing, mindset. Um, and yeah, just, uh, knowing that you didn't have that focal, that one-on-one that a, probably a single child would have had. Uh, but like I said, I, I view my childhood, entire childhood as a blessing. It's made me who yeah. I am today. And, uh, not only the independence, but also the skill, like we were talking about just, uh, prior, you know, we, we actually ended up, my, my father built, had this idea of building my mom's dream house when we started out when I was in middle school. And it was a log house just a half mile down the road. And, but a huge log house. It has, I think, it was supposed to have like six or seven bedrooms and four baths or five baths. Because at the time, there was still, I think, six kids living at home. Long story short, we only worked on it in the wintertime because we farm. And uh, nobody wants to work in wintertime in Northeast Ohio when you have two feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> and so you're don't, not, not exactly really motivated. And it, it was a big project that we'd never done before. But just like my, myself, my dad's willing to try anything. And so uh, it ended up taking us seven, seven winters to, to complete this house. And uh, but it's by the time they got it completed, I was the only one in still left at home. So, (laughs) (laughs) so now they got an empty nest. So is your family kind of spread out through the states or? So I have I'm one of of three that have significant distance in between. So I'm about seven hours away. And then I have a sibling down in in Clarksville, Tennessee. That's maybe 10 hours away. And then a sister, an older sister that's married in the military, and she travels around quite a bit. Right now she's in Utah. So I would imagine probably 20 or so hours away from Northeast Ohio originally. That's wild. Nice. Well, yeah, let's let's get into the Airbnb business. This was an industry like I was really fascinated by. Obviously, you hear those stories. Yeah, you can start with very little into it. Somewhat low risk, high return turn possibilities. What would you say your biggest lessons learned now having six properties going through it? Yep. So the biggest lesson I would say is you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And so just like the renovation, you don't really know you did the right thing or wrong thing until you've done the process before and you have time to reflect on it. Same thing with the management, changing literally from year one to year two twice as much revenue. It was one, educating myself, you know, changing cleaning fees and structure a thing, doing two night minimum stays or three night minimum stays on weekends, you know, getting that that willingness to, to try different things and see what fits different markets. One thing I didn't mention earlier is I'm actually invested with my parents down in Florida, hour north of Tampa. There's a one and a half, I call it one and a half. It's a main cabin and then a, a separate tiny house that's on the same property down about an hour north of Tampa. It's called Crystal River Home Assassa area. And uh, that's been live for two and a half years now. But in the meantime, going back to what you don't know, and this is the reason why I had the confidence to partner up with, or my parents had the confidence to partner up with me, is just management-wise. 
is I not only a grew grew better as a host and have you know confidence in my guest satisfaction that hey when they leave my property when they're backing out of that driveway they're leaving knowing that it was a good value to them but also it was a good experience like they they would want to return and so that's the most critical moment it's it's not when they first show up the property it's when they're backing out of the driveway that really hit home with or tried to with the five star service that we provide. But, but yeah, as far as knowing what you don't know, so even management side, revenue side, like I wasn't aware that there's automated software out there that, that can change your pricing uh, daily for you, just like a flight and it bases off of the, the local rentals, nearby rentals, their occupancy, what your occupancy is, what the timing of the booking is events, you know, big events, we call them compression events, you know, Derby, Bourbon Beyond, Louder in Life, that kind of thing, and adjust for it daily. And so tapping into that was a huge one. Like I said, playing around with different minimum night stays all the way into like there's software called Rank Breeze that you can literally track daily where you're showing up on a page. And that, that's kind of a needle mover for you to know where you, where's best en- uh, energy spent at because there's only so much time in the day that you can spend on each listing. And so with that, whether that's changing orientations of pictures or captions of pictures or descriptions or whatnot, and seeing where that moves the needle, it's helpful. So again, you don't know until you know. Yeah, a bunch of little things going on behind the scenes that when we just book a stay somewhere, we don't realize the intricacies behind that. And not only that, but other owners, there's so many other owners that just are leaving money on the table. And so that's another thing that I'm starting to to actually develop is a co-hosting business to where I am identifying properties based off of what's called air DNA. I can look in to see what, what properties are really generating on a yearly basis or on a monthly basis and reaching out to those owners and trying to form a communication of, and confidence in me to allow me to manage their property in a sense, almost for nothing out of pocket because of, of the spread that I could gain for them would essentially, or potentially be uh, less than what I would charge. And then there also would be hands completely free off it too. So again, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's awesome. And I guess one of the big drawbacks or critiques against the short-term rental industry is the local legislation and how sporadic that can be. I know there was a recent law here in Louisville that was just passed. I don't know when it'll go into effect. Do you know anything about that? Like what are the ups and downs? How does it compare being in New Albany and Jeffersonville and Louisville? What is the the local rules? Yep. So so local rules are especially obviously important for anywhere, even if you're investing nationwide. And there's uh, resources out there that can even help you nationwide. One that comes to mind would be STR Insights. It helps you predict revenue, but it also gets you a little indication on what the local climate is for those regulations as far as specifically here in, in our market. And I call our market the Southern Indiana Louisville market. We draw the same people, whether it's this side of the river or the other side of the river. And, and with that, definitely a lot more favorable regulations on the Indiana side. I don't want to say anything goes, but it's just years behind uh, Louisville. As far as what I'm understanding of uh, Louisville, regulations is that they placed it in like 2019 and it was very preliminary then and not well developed and so that's what they're working on right now is refining that a little bit in the meantime until they get things sorted out there's a from my understanding a memorandum which is preventing from all permits being distributed until they've hashed out that finer detail and i'm not sure what other you know aspects are of that I typically rely on the the realtor or, or, you know, if I'm buying, which right now I'm not necessarily buying in Louisville, but I would reach out to the the zoning and boarding and commissioner to further that before making another investment. The recent one and my first and one of the most recent purchases was in first one in Louisville, which is also my most recent one. I was already well aware that I would be able to get the permits the very next day after closing. And that was back in May. I closed on that property. So just another thing, especially on the investor front, is just make sure you do your due diligence, not only on the revenue side and, you know, your cash on cash expectation and, you know, getting all your teams aligned, whether it's cleaners and handymans and all your resources aligned, but also like just your, your legality of it as well, too. So it's something that is, I see it nationwide, repeatedly overlooked. 
And uh, yeah, that's a quick way to lose money really fast, very shortly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And then it also puts a, just a dampener on your whole investing like mood, you know, and it's like, man, you could have just easily avoid that. Just a little more work Yeah. on the forefront. And I guess let's say Louisville, it got to where, you know, they start tightening things up. I know there's been rumors of shutting down Airbnbs and stuff like that. Would you just switch to a different market? Are you super bound to being here? Because I know you have the one in Florida. So I'm not bound at all. At the moment of the last two purchases, my investing mindset was heavily cash on cash return. Where am I, if, if I spend money today, where is the fastest place I can get the most amount of my, that cash rate back to me? Because then I can build faster. I think it's probably pretty general to say one of the common reasons people can't scale is because of capital. And so if you don't have the cash, it doesn't do you any good. Unless you come up with some kind of creative financing, which it, that's becoming a lot more popular. And it's definitely an opportunity for somebody. I just ha- don't have the experience with that just yet. Yeah. And you familiar with Red River Gorge? You've yeah. spent much time? Yeah. There, well, I know... The Airbnb market down there is hot. I yeah. don't know what their regulations look the, like. The problem is, so if you log into SD or if you buy a subscription for SDR Insights, they'll connect you with the regulations or a broad view of the regulations. And then there's a gentleman, and just because you said that, I won't know his specific last name. I want to say it's Sean Dauntry, but he's with Savvy Realtors. If you look up Savvy Realtors on Facebook, you'll be able to find him. He's the agent that serves the, right now he's servicing all Kentucky, but originally he was just specifically focused on the Red River Gorge, a short-term rental focused realtor. And with that, I've seen his number, or I've seen numbers and performers from that area, not just from himself, but others. And, you know, I've logged in on STR Insights because right now, or I shouldn't say right now, but at one time I was thinking about investing more personal wise rather than financially wise. And it's just a very seasonal market there. Yep. And it's really hard to beat that, really hard to beat our market here that doesn't really have a seasonality and has those huge compression events compared to a place like that. I would say the most, the, the closest personal property locally that the numbers would make sense would be Mammoth Cave, like Nolan area. And it's just because a mammoth cave helps help. Yeah. You got to have a foot traffic. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't do you any good having a huge, nice house or whatnot. And nobody's showing up there to rent it out. So locally right now, the only place that makes sense if, and I may, like I said, invest, my investment mind, mindset always changes just kind of with things, life events and whatnot. And so if I were to start focusing more on personal rentals that I would actually use myself, maybe a few weekends out of the year it would be Mammoth Cave and Lake Nolan area. That's awesome. So in terms of moving forward, are there any, would you just stay on the, the short-term rental track or would you start looking into other asset classes like maybe multifamily, industrial, things like that? Yeah, so that's actually an interesting question. So Shelby Street that we're talking about in Louisville, that's actually a property that is going to be a first for many. So it's my first Louisville property. It's my first multifamily property. It's my first property that's over 100 years old. (laughs) I think it's 1882. You know, the potentials there are unlimited. Even to say the the across the road, I'm working with a a neighbor that has a fenced-in lot. And the idea right now is to start a Toro business to where I'm going to test trial one slingshot. I don't know if you're familiar with the slingshot. Yeah, I know. They're they're pretty fun, sporty-looking, two-seater, you know, three uh, two wheels up front, one wheel in the back. And for our renters at Shelby Street to have the option to, to rent it with their stay. And, um, and the idea right now would be to test out with one slingshot, make sure it's, it has the potential I think it has, and then, and then go back to the drawing board. But right now it, it could easily fit a handful of those in the fenced-in area. And he also owns two more lots beside it to where if we want to do, you know, Teslas, you know, for, like actual cars to where people could go on the bourbon tours or whatnot, and not have to worry about uh, figuring out a rental at the airport or whatnot. That would so, be awesome. I mean, it's, yeah, just potential everywhere. Just getting creative. Yeah. I it's like a it. killer idea, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully nobody takes it before <laughs> nah. I get to it. <laughs> well, the slingshots, yeah, that would be that would be interesting. And you would just run those through Turo. I saw someone the other day post something. It was actually your my watch buddy, guy. My buddy Jake, yeah, he has a couple cars on Turo, man, and he's cash flowing five, 600 awesome. bucks a month on each vehicle. So I am looking, you got to connect me with them because it's a new market and I'm willing to invest in anything, mm-hmm. but I, I like calculated risk. I don't like, I don't like just throwing things out there and hoping for the best, praying for the best. It's calculated risk is what I invest off. 
and you know, a little gut feeling, um, intuition. And so with that, it's completely new market. Uh, there's a few members, uh, our masterminds, I think 80, 85 people deep nationwide. And so there's a few members there that have, you know, just one or two cars, but not a whole entire fleet. And they also are, are you know, not local either. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, especially a slingshot, it's going to be very seasonal. But the nice thing is it's a fairly cheap purchase, purchase price. And I would think high demand as well, yeah. too, especially just being um, positioned right in between Bardstown Road and 4th Street Live. And, you know, just south of me is the the college stadium, football games and Churchill Downs, you know, further on down the Expo Center. Like it's you, you can buzz to anywhere in less than 10 minutes and, yeah. and have fun doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I think I that's mean, really. And even if you're one to take take it out, you know, side of the city, I mean, they're yeah, exactly. they, you can take them on the interstate, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's awesome. That's a that's a really good idea. That, that and uh, I have a little bit of a personal. We used to buy a toy, you know, just yeah. going through a little bit of a middle life crisis right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as I just use it forty nine percent of the time, I'm good. <laughs> well, talking a little bit about you know your investment philosophy, you mentioned cash on cash return as a metric you look for. What is that percent when you're running a deal? What does your investment process look like from, okay, I'm scouring the MLS for deals. I'm just, you know, driving the streets looking for cool properties. Just take us through a little bit of the investment process from start to finish, one, and then two, some of those metrics. And specifically, like, are you only looking for deals that check out at a 20% pro forma cash on cash? Where does that lie? Yep. So definitely heavy on numbers. And again, it, I think it would be the specific metric I'm looking for would be different depending on on my mindset, my investor mindset. So early on, like I said, I, I really didn't, until I joined a mastermind, I really didn't understand metrics and what I should be focusing on. And then once I did, I was like, well, the reason why I can't scale is because I don't have enough cash. And, and it's, you know, just, it's a down, it's a shortfall of a lot of people. And so I was focusing on cash heavily. And to the point, or the point I want to make is that the first couple of years that I was going, I shouldn't say blindly, but not necessarily putting attention to numbers, I was very blessed with, they were already great numbers. I didn't even know what I had. So my very first deal or very first rental, which helped it being a, a primary residence, it penciled out to be 144% cash on cash. Damn. Killer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so everybody in our mastermind, we're very transparent with everything. And we put in monthly benchmarks. And and so with, and again, this this is a very limited group of mastermind or of like, like-minded short-term rental investors. And it's also a very extent, expensive paid group. It's not just a free, you know, anybody gets in. And so when you compare the monthly numbers, benchmarks, it was very eye-opening how good of returns my properties really were. Yeah. Not only percentage wise, but compared to other, you know, elite, I would say short-term rental investors. And so to the point where they almost, they didn't believe it. <laughs> almost. Yeah. And, and, and furthermore, anytime now I go get financing, bank still doesn't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's funny. <laughs> until they look at the statements and whatnot. But so my mentor, who's Bill Faith in that, in that specific mastermind, because I'm in multiples now, but uh, that specific mastermind, his big pitch is 30% cash on cash is what you want to aim for. But he's also investing in, typically he invests in bigger properties and the masterminds in my group, you know, they're doctors, lawyers, they have the funds to, to not only invest in bigger properties, but they also don't have the time to necessarily renovate and go after that, squeeze every drop of that orange to, to really get those return numbers up. And so with that, they, the group's aim is for 30% cash on cash. And I would say that was almost about impossible not to do back when interest rates were, you know, whatever, three, 4%. And before all the bidding wars started, you know, two years ago, you know, really the year of COVID, the year, the first year of COVID when uh, travel actually spiked, when they, after the, they shut everything down for two months, cleared out all everybody's calendars. As soon as that two months was over, it was like wildfire, especially big parks, any national parks, because people want to get out and they wanted to have their space. And so you've seen, uh, you know, Gatlinburg, obviously, but like Hawken Hills had historical visitors, I think three times as many visitors on a yearly basis just in that one summer. Wow. And so obviously when you have visitors, you need people to sleep. And so, and, and so the rental market 
revenue-wise, short-term rental revenue-wise, boomed. And, and it didn't take long, just like anything, when there's money to be made, people s- smell it and they flock to it. And so you had a lot of, a lot of factors going in, but specifically short-term rental industry. The main factor that you had is not only did people have a, a sense of possibilities on returns that were better than the stock market at that time, because at the time the stock market's on its way down, but you also have a abundance of high W-2 income earners that need to spend money for tax write-offs. Yep. And again, they don't have all the time in the world to focus on investing, let alone running performance. And so, and you'll, you're going to probably see a windfall of this eventually with, I, I wouldn't say cash fire sales, but there's going to be a lot of exits out of the market just because of how they bought lack of due diligence. That's in everything <laughs> that's yeah. not just short-term yeah. rentals it's gonna be the i mean just for anyone listening right now who knows when the fuck the market's gonna hit the bottom but when it does it's either gonna be the buying opportunity of the year of the decade or of a lifetime who knows which one it's gonna be but one of those is gonna happen and well it, i mean it's been a while since people are excited to buy shit i think we're in our f- first full year of people being like eh. I don't know if I want to do this deal. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is not only did it affect the housing market, but it, or, or I should say the, the rental market, but it affected everything because oh. everybody raised their prices and everything. And so just the easiest simulation I can get or compare it to is uh, being on the farm back in 2012. We had a, a terrible drought nationwide, like 12 and 12 through 14. And so your average bushel of, or your, yeah, your average bushel of, of corn and soybeans went from four dollars a bushel of corn to eight dollars, and from eight dollar bushel beans to, to sixteen dollar bushel beans. And obviously, the people that survived through the flood, they're like, oh, this is the greatest thing, you know. Well, it ended up being the worst thing because what ended up happening is all the input side, the the green tractor, or red tractor, whatever brand you drive or whatnot, went from being a $250,000 tractor, a $500,000 tractor. And not only new equipment, but used equipment followed it too, because it's a market. So everything follows it. And same with fertilizer, seed, anything. Well, then it wasn't shortly after, that only lasted a couple of years. And then, you know, everything resumes and you have, you know, killer years in Brazil and in China, you know, buys less and stuff like that, just a global market. And the price falls back down. Well, none of the inputs go back to the reset to the prices they were. So what it ends up doing is it's just a long time for that to ever work its way out of the back out of the market. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. And then what's even messed up is when you get to learn about markets, the market doesn't even follow what the people do. It follows what people think other people are going to do. And so it's almost like a mindset game that you got to figure out of how exactly people are going to interpret things to even have a general understanding of predicting the market of yeah. any commodity, whether it's housing, oil, grain, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to just economics in general, if you really get down to the nitty gritty and talk to economists, like the people who actually study this stuff, there's a big disagreement between like the efficient market hypothesis and whether or not that <laughs> even exists. But it's the idea that at any given moment, everybody has all the information they need to price value and make deals, whether it's buying stocks, whatever that they need to make educated guesses. The exactly. opposite side is that doesn't exist. It's all based on emotions and what's going on in the market. And so in a time like this, it's very easy to be like, yeah, that does not exist, but it's still a constant point of argument since the great depression is like, I I, I was going to say, I would still comment that we still live in a heck of a country that even blesses us with an open market, even if it's, you know, strings behind it or whatnot. Yeah. It's definitely the freest market. I mean, but in terms of like, Literally, what happens in economy is just like you said. It's what people think is going to happen. So prices aren't going to come down until people think there's a reason. And right now, I mean, it's just such a weird market. And you always try to look back in history to be like, oh, this is like the 1920s or this is like the 70s. And I mean, just talking even with my grandpa, he's like, yeah, when I bought my house, it was 10% interest. Like he's looking at this time like this is how I got started (laughs) in the business. He's not even afraid of it yet people our age or 
who didn't experience buying a house at 10% interest, they think the world's falling apart. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's really whichever side ends up having the most people, that's going to be what tips the market is how many yep. people get in an urgency. Sam, you have a question? No, I you just look like you're over there. Gears about, are turning. Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're buying a house at 16% interest and the house is $90,000, that's one thing. When you're <laughs> buying a house at eight, 9% interest and the house is three to $500,000, it's affordability changes drastically, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's wild. I guess going forward though, kind of back to that question I asked, are you going to keep on the short-term rental or is there maybe another direction you're looking? I know you mentioned coho doing kind of doing like a property Airbnb type management system, but long-term, would you like to develop? Would you like to, what, what where do you see yourself in at the age of 60? See myself at the age of 60. All right. It's a loaded question there. And like, <laughs> I, like I advise you, it probably changes every time I change my mindset and just given with life events. Uh, but I would say right now, 60, I am hopefully going to be an angel investor at that time to where yeah. I'm completely hands off of everything. But yet still, you know, having that, that satisfaction of like playing adult, adult, adult monopoly. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that's where I'm at at 60. And I am completely open to how I get there. Currently, right now, I see it heavily being, but it's it's a tried and true process for me right now. Like I said, we were talking earlier, just stupid, ridiculous numbers. And, you know, I'm going to continue to do that until I have, right now, different things that seem more appealing to me. Um, but. How many hours a day do you spend just in the business, like managing, kind of doing all those tasks that come with managing an Airbnb? Have you automated? <laughs> like, where are you at there? Yeah, so I've, that was one of the things we, we discussed prior to starting this was one of my downfalls is is being guilty of working in the business instead of on the business. It comes with a little bit. One one is just I have a natural kind of control aspect about me. I just like to everything be 110%, like the best of the best. If I And, and I've learned that like if I don't do it myself, it seems like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't result in that. And so I'm trying to wean myself off that for one. And also the growth of the business also is forcing me to do that. You know, I, I can't cover all the bases. It, there's only 24 hours in a day. And, and so with that, I spend, I'm an active investor. So you could catch me on a job site remodeling, you know, picking up a hand tool or painting. I don't like painting, but, but anyhow, you know, working right beside, beside the, the renovation crew I have. Or you can, you know, find me if a pool boy or lawn guy doesn't show up at Airbnb, I'm right there. Typically, any kind of guest confrontation, I want to be there. Yeah. I want to be on site. And so just put that personal touch. It just goes a long ways. And especially I'm local here, so I have no reason not to. I live about 20 minutes away from all my rentals. A little different story down in Florida. Jump on FaceTime and, and have that personal touch then there. But with that, I typically am still working anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day, just what I do. Uh, I grew up on a farm working 16 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So my 10 to 12 hour days for six days, five to six days a week is still a lot less than that. Yeah. And it's, you know, something I'm building just strictly for myself. Do you have any employees right now? So yeah, we have a few remodelers and then we have, it's not my employees, but I have a cleaning team that is dedicated to, to all oh, the that's properties. awesome. So... That's great. I mean, I know Cal and I, our kind of business relationship kicked off on AirDNA. Looking for Air deals. And I wanted to get in, into the game. Yeah. What specifically was the business or the AirDNA? Yeah. I wanted to buy a property to do a short-term rental. All right. Gotcha. This was like late. A year and a half ago? 2021. Was that Park Ave? Yeah. Okay. Is that yeah. on this side of the river or where's Park Ave? It's nearby. It's Yeah, it's actually a, a crazy story we could kind of share with our listeners and you at the same time. But Cal, when how our thing kicked off, I was studying for my real estate license. Cal was living in Atlanta, kind of living in Nashville, Tennessee. But was back Just home. working remote. Yeah, yeah. working Traveling. remote. And we he, he had this idea of an Airbnb. I'm like, yeah, let's buy one and make it happen or let's sublease or something. Like, let's figure it out. So we started going down this rabbit hole. You know, we've stumbled upon this awesome property that this dude just fixed and flipped himself. Yeah. And we were like, this is a dope property. And at the time, I don't think you had your real estate license. No, but it was a carriage house in Old Louisville. All right. It's like behind a two-property house 
and or sorry, two house property. The guy did all the work himself, the owner, and was selling them as a package. But we just wanted the carriage house. Gotcha. So, and what's just sorry to interrupt, but what size is this carriage house? One, two bed, two bed. Right. Yeah, two probably fifteen hundred square feet. Right. But I think it was thirteen hundred. Yeah, it had two spiral staircases. It's like I mean, it was just a beautiful it, it was old like, style. If you can pick like picture a miniature barn type but cobblestone yeah. when you went in it was like a pitched all open and then like to the sides there's yeah. these two second level and, rooms all right and i just gotta pull ask, up a picture like very first thing did you do your do do due diligence and see that it was eligible for a permit yes and wow. luckily i mean with with the whole airbnb and why we went away is it i mean we were definitely at the end of the wave so it was just yeah. a bloody market like yeah it wasn't 2017 it was 2021 yeah. so it was tough just finding anything that penciled, but that house, the people who ended up buying it from the guy that we met, Cal stayed in touch with them, but they went through the process of getting an Airbnb and got shut down twice. Dang. And both times it was in the neighborhood meeting. So it was like it, the city was like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Have your neighborhood meeting. Tell us how it goes. And then like some lady eight blocks over shows up. It's like now. And they got blocked. So, I mean. You want to believe how many times I've heard that? Yeah, and it's wild, but that pretty much kicked off our relation, business relationship, and then we ended up finding the land bank in Louisville where you can buy lots from the city, so we bought some lots for like $500 each and started assembling some land, and then rather than going the Airbnb route, we realized there was enough land to where we could do a multifamily development. None of that has happened yet, but... It all started from Air, Airbnb, and then we're like, well, shit, we have to build an Airbnb to, <laughs> oh, shit, we could just build apartments here and build a bunch of them, and now we're just building the capital to do that. <laughs> gotcha. Just curious, why aren't you, if you have the land here, empty lots, why aren't you doing the the storage of the space? They're just shotgun lots, and oh, they're in residential. Gotcha. It's in a resident. Yeah. It would be tough. And this is also kind of in, I mean, it's just, it's the hood. You have the most dangerous part of Louisville, like a block away. Gotcha. Like when I say the most dangerous part of Louisville, like a part where if you're wearing red or blue, you enough you get, said you get hurt. Enough said. Yep. So <laughs> you don't. We've thought of all these different things we could do. Affordable housing is probably the highest and best use, just because a lot of the industrial buildings in the area are vacant because of crime and they get broken into constantly. Even if you put up a barbed wire fence, people will back a truck over it <laughs> knock the fence down and then get in anyway so yeah. it's just a tough area and he would love to rent out the warehouse but i just i wouldn't want the liability of someone parking a semi truck in there and then coming in one day and the whole fucking thing's gone <laughs> it's just so, not good liability so we talked a little bit on the pre-podcast the pre-game uh, yeah pre-game i guess that's a better word to use but uh just for my experience like I shared, it doesn't do you any good buying discount house in a discount neighborhood no. As, if you're planning on Airbnb because long term you're counting on reviews, you're counting on repeated guests coming back, and after they find out what it is, it, they're going to call it out. Oh yeah, and it's just a matter of time you get those first three reviews and sync. There we ultimately bought, and we have to be very long. It's like, you know, we're not getting a return anytime soon. But there's a lot of development in the area, so. Oh, for sure. I think the whole Louisville market, I don't think there's a wrong buy. It's just what buy is right for you. And your timeline. Yeah. yeah. And, and your expectation of it. But I think it's one of the most undervalued cities, oh. I think, in the entire country, so, in my opinion. But I'm sure I'm biased. I mean, just the amount of people. I mean, you're probably really familiar with just, there's a lot of people who come to Louisville and find out they like it and stay. I, mean, I was one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you yeah. are. You're from, yeah. yeah. yeah so I, mean, I, I moved down here chasing my job uh, originally. And and then after I quit my job, I I mean, I had a, a couple of then properties I was holding. and But again, I've managed the one in Florida remotely. So really, there's nothing that ties me to this other than just the, the cozy feeling. I mean, anymore, it feels more like home down here than it does in Northeast Ohio. And just a lot of tradition, always something going on. And that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, the market, the short-term rental market is so good is because the the fact I've always been told, and I haven't had any reason to, to debut it, is that Louisville is the most centrally located city in the United States according to population. So two-thirds of American population are within a day's drive, which I think is classified as like 10 hours, to the city here. 
And with that's the reason why that expo center always has something going on either every weekend or every other weekend. And it's all kind of different shows, whether it's farm machinery show or, you know, Jeep Fest or, you know, national rodeos coming up here in November to all the festivals that they have uh, in September, all the music festivals. Usually they have at least three. This year they only had the two because they, they dropped the country fest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the forecastle, all kinds of music events and just big events. And, they just and, had a, a vintage clothing yeah. show there. Yeah, I mean, so camper the, shows, gun shows, you yeah. name cheerleading competition, yeah. robotic competition. Like, it, it's crazy oh. the the amount of people, because typically when somebody books a, a stay, they, they explain or they have they feel like they have a need to explain the reason why they're there coming. And so it's uh, one-third of my, my avatars, or, or I shouldn't say my avatars, but one-third of my guests are coming for something at the expo. Wow. <laughs> when when so. you call them avatars, it's yeah, like, like and I need some avatars, bro. <laughs> What's this avatar thing you're talking about? Like we don't have my clients. AI bot renters. Yeah. We don't no, have clients so, or customers. We have avatars. So so there's a there's target markets that you want to target, yeah. and and that should be part of your due diligence. It's not praying that hoping that somebody's going to come rent your place. It's hey, I'm designing this place. I'm I'm investing in professional design of this place to specifically appeal to somebody scrolling through Airbnbs amongst three thousand other listings plus. And furthermore, when I go to target them on marketing Facebook, that somebody that's not even looking for my property, that's not even looking to stay in Louisville, are going to be attracted enough to at least have multiple touch points and eventually ultimately book my property. Love it. What about furniture? How do you go? What's your mindset on that? What about it? So are you are you decking it out with just nice, nice furniture? I mean, at the end of the day it's going to be rented so you, what kind of furniture you so that new so new or used yeah so that is a, a big flaw on a lot of beginner investors and i would say i they want a penny pinch they want to go to the thrift store they want to buy off a marketplace you know and get mismatched stuff early on i didn't necessarily take it to that extreme i would get it off facebook craigslist stuff like that as far as like stuff that wasn't used uh, or hygienically used, you know, new beds, new mattresses, stuff like that. But as far as like TV stands or, you know, TVs, stuff like that, buying them used. And uh, and ultimately at the end of the day, it's just a lot of running around. Yeah. So you got to eventually like throughout my investing process, I have to value my time to a specific dollar and what makes sense to me. And so starting it out, like, yeah, I was like down on myself, like, Hey, I'm 20 bucks an hour. If I can go drive to Indianapolis and, and pick up, you know, six TVs and save, call it hundred bucks and I have five hours drive time, $40 of fuel. I'm not really saving any money. I'm better off just going to the store and buying them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's maybe a little extreme example, but now, now that I'm a lot further developed, not only professionally in the business, but also a personal life, like, you know, I have kids and stuff like that. I got to value my time more. And so, you know, arbitrary number, like hundred bucks an hour, if it's, if I'm not saving that, then ultimately it doesn't pencil out for me to go, you know, like I buy hot tubs used. There hasn't been a hot, every property except for one has a hot tub because it's a big draw. The one that doesn't has a heated pool, heated puddle. I call it a seven by 14 but <laughs> in ground. But anyhow, that said, like I don't buy, I think the most expensive hot tub was a $1,200 hot tub. You look at my hot tubs and new you they're they're six seven thousand dollar hot tubs so that's another way i get killer cash on cash returns because i'm not dumping and i have the time to do it. a lot of my competitors like i said are high w-2 income earners out of state that don't have the time necessarily to go drive you know an hour or two find a deal and bring it back nor do they have the capacity to like f- have a handyman figure that out yeah and so they take what they can get and they, you know, go out and buy a brand new hot tub for $10,000 or a brand new barrel sauna for $8,000. And then they're, you know, scratching their head how, you know, how come I'm only getting 20, 25, 30% cash on cash where you're getting, you know, upwards of well, right now, like 55, 60. So where previously, like I said, there's a one deal at over a hundred. So, so you, essentially is if you can, you're saving money where you can when it comes to the furniture, but you're not sacrificing exactly. quality. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it also, at the end of the day, it goes back to doing your due diligence on a performa. And so each property is specific. I can't necessarily say like I go out and buy high end or I, I don't always go out and buy high end property uh, furniture for properties. So that's not true. So the Shelby street one, just mathematically it penciled out. It made sense to go out and pay $12,000 for a mirrorless to go put three, three mirrors on made sense to go pay a designer, I think 10-5, to professionally design it. It made sense to 
for uh, like 42000 on furnishing bill there, it made sense. It pencils yeah. out. What my return is, it's still I'm getting a 60% cash on cash, if not better than that. And so with that, that property made sense. The I brought uh, the same day I closed on that property, I closed on a property over in, in New Albany, which right now is my pride and joy just because it's the biggest property that's active and it's also just amenity loaded. Hopefully Shelby Street's just as good, if not better, here in, in two to three weeks when we launch it. And and it speaks for itself. The thing's just solid booked. Opened up, first rental was the weekend of Labor Day. Hmm. And it's just, I've got the property to about 80% of what I want it to be, just because w- it's a pool house, a large pool house. I think that pool is like 20 by 35 or something like that, heated pool in ground. And the waterfall is everything. Killer. And, and so I, I was really pressed to try to get as much of the summer revenue as I can with that pool being the seller. And we were already two months behind on the renovations, just got burned on some contractors, stuff like that, just personal life going on events. And, and long story short, I got the property 80%. I said, Hey, it's good enough. Like music, uh, the, the festivals were happening in September. I said, I got to get this thing going. Yeah. My plan is to go back and add on things like outdoor movie projector, golf simulator, a secondary fire pit gathering area, trash can beer pong, like you name it. Like that's where I separate myself from the competitors is the outside space mainly. And and with that, that thing stays so damn booked that yeah. I, I can't get back in there to do the final touch-ups until probably this December, this January, which is naturally we get into a shoulder season, especially on a larger house. So that property sleeps 18 people. Damn. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. So it sounds great. I yeah. want to go. That's on Shelby Street? Oh. So that is over in New, Al- New Albany. And, Holy uh, fuck. I want to see this thing. Yeah. And so here, we can pull it up. And so, okay, okay. Hold on. Hold on. So Shelby I to, Street. I have to turn I was off. Say, Shelby Street it also is going to sleep 18 people. Okay. Hold on. It's I got permitted. I got to turn off my real estate because I'm thinking bedrooms. But this is in, on Airbnb. It's beds. So how many... I guess bedrooms. bedrooms are in that new Albany one. So I bought, so this is another thing that helped me on the purchase price. So I bought it as a three bed. It was marketed as a three bed, three bath house. That was 1,750 square feet is what it was marketed as. I get there and I see through the pictures. Like I, I can tell I've, I've, I have things on triggers at back then. Well, I still do have triggers, but I just don't pay them as much because I'm, it's not where my mind's at on the purchasing right now. But anyhow, so I find this house, comes up, see it the very, you know, 30 minutes it's listed. And it definitely needs touched up, you tell that. But it had definitely a lot more square footage than what they showed. And it had a pool house that is roughly about 1,200 square feet. And they didn't, they didn't count, count any they of that? They didn't count that. And oh, that's it a legitimately, it, yeah, it legitimately had a two car or one and a half car garage. And it, it, and after the one and a half car garage of the pool house, it did have finished living space. Like it had another 600 uh, square feet of finished living space with a bathroom that they didn't even, and, and heated and cooled. And they didn't even count that. And yeah, and not only that, but the basement itself could have been finished better than what it was. So only a quarter of the basement was finished and they didn't count that space just because clearance wise, I think was the reason you have to be seven foot in order for them to count. And so we, we made some changes down there. Open it all up, and long story short, it's now the house itself is right around. I penciled it to be like twenty one hundred square feet, twenty one fifty, and then I still have the thousand to eleven hundred square feet pool house. And so then that becomes the game of you know how many heads and beds can you fit, but yet not get cramped. Because one of my biggest pet peeves on an Airbnb, especially a bigger house, is a house that sleeps you know fifteen twenty people, and they have a little four person pub style table for families to eat at. Yeah. And, and so, so what I try to do and so far, every property I've done it with is however many people it sleeps is how many other people it eats. And I try, and this is the only probably that pro- property that I would say is a little bit of a squeeze, but I feel like it is. It also has to sit and entertain that many people too, yeah. because nobody should feel cr- like when you book a place for 16, it should occupy 16 in, in its entirety, not just its bed count. As you get some crazy listings that like, trendles and bed bunk beds and craziness thing yeah like, we got they're they're, they're blocking like the the here locally like they're and this is my competitor so like i know if i deliver better than that it's obvious who they're going to book with but like you'll have like these potent, high potential houses and they go out and they do the hot tub and thing and outdoor but then on the beds they they fall short and they'll block like closet doors just squeeze in another bunk bed just to count you know four uh, more people there yeah and it's like you got to do it everywhere so yeah. this is 
if you want to take a look at this thing, this is the property I'm talking about. So speaking to the mic, Sam, yeah, tell us what, what your thoughts are. All right. So not only that, but they had this pool. So this was a terrible realtor. <laughs> like I would never use this realtor ever again. Holy. It helped. I knew a lot of back uh, story on this property too. And uh, so I knew the owner, even though the owner didn't necessarily knew who I was because I, I closed in, in LLCs. And so with that, I had previously actually, we started the same day at my W-2 job back when I started it. I guess it would have been 2015. And I you know worked there for the seven years. And anywho, so we started on the same day and he worked in a different department, but I knew of him, actually even had his phone number, everything. And, but anywho, I knew a lot of his personal story that he was going through a divorce that already separated. He was carrying two mortgages. Like I, I knew a little more on the inside than what I, what a typical buyer would. And so this pool, they didn't even have it uncovered. And granted it was, it was listed in, I guess, March as when the offer went in It was March, middle of March. So it was a little e early to open up a pool, I would say. But if I was selling a house for sure, I would have had it open <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and it's a heated pool too. So, I mean, even if you got to run a heater for, you know, 20 bucks a day. And, but and, that's a hell of a deal. I can't believe you basically got a almost 3000 square foot house for the price of a 1700 square foot house. Yeah. Yeah. Now, listeners, now, don't if you go and price, try to yeah. repeat this, but you keep your eye out for shit like this because this shit happens. And as exactly. long as you can see it, you can make it work, but it's not like you're just going to go out and find this. Yeah, That's exactly. the key. And you don't know what you don't know, like I said. And so there, there was, even in our mastermind, there was so much hesitation this winter to purchase anything. They're like, interest rates are, you know, eight, nine percent, you know, on, well, actually even investor loans were like up nine, ten percent. And, and then, you know, purchasing price, like nobody, nobody's, you know, giving you any kind of flash sale because nobody's, you know, head underwater just yet. Mm. And, and so there was a lot of people that were just holding and I'm like, Hey, if the numbers make sense, the numbers make sense mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And, <laughs> and yeah, so I went to forth with this and it's killer numbers. You know, this property, you can look it up. It's going to, they listed it for uh, 240. Like I said, I, I knew right away when it listed, I had my realtor, I said, I want to go see it that day. I went and seen it. Of course, it's just as crappy as what pictures show, or I should say, you know, cat, cat got around everywhere. Uh, and it, it, but it was perfect for me. Like, I'm like, smell money. Uh, <laughs> I smell money. That's what I smell. And the and girl's any, like, ew, what's that smell? And you're like, <laughs> money. <laughs> yeah. And anyhow, so I'm, I told the realtor, I said, I don't want to seem too eager on this. I said, just keep an eye on who schedules come in visits and whatnot. And, and later on this week, I'll make an offer. I said, I'm interested in it, for sure, heavily interested, but I don't want the seller to know. And and sure enough, it took them a week just to get another showing. Mm. And again, Grant, this was, you know, end of February or whatnot. So, I mean, it's balls cold and nobody wants to go buy a house anyways. So I'm really only competing with investors, other investors, and they're looking at it. There's not too many long-term or not too many short-term investors locally here. And so, you know, I'm really comp competing with long-term investors typically and, you know, they, they don't see the value there. And so, so with that, ended up putting a, a 230 offer in and they kick it back, I think for 232.5. And I was like, you know what, that's fine. We'll yeah. just get them on the inspections. And, and so sure enough, that's what inspection come around. So I think Zill is going to show it's like 232, 232.5 or something like that. We end up getting, I think another 7,500 on, on closing or on, on 7,500 on inspections. I, I actually miss, misspoke. And then we had another 7,000 that was going towards closing. So, wow. so in the end, I'm like 220 on this thing. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. What's what it also helps it helps being on the sunnier side of the river too. Yeah. Is what I refer it to. So when I first moved here, it was really apparent that like there was like thirty percent at least at that time, if I had to estimate there was about a thirty percent to thirty five percent discount on housing over there. And then when COVID or I should say when the whole house boom happened here, especially the last year and a half, that thirty percent, in my opinion, has dropped probably closer to fifteen to yeah. yeah, I would say 15% tops. There's not much of a price difference anymore because at the end of the day, people only have so much of a paycheck they can spend on housing. And eventually that chip on their shoulder has to wear off because of, they can't afford a house payment. So now the people that weren't originally willing to live on the Indiana side of the river are now living there. And that's why Indiana side, you know, Jeffersonville is booming. 
in New Albany. Even now in Utica, the yeah. opposite, yeah, exactly. opposite side of yeah. Prospect. I and mean, it's going to continue to boom. Because well, so. they got Rivers Ridge. Have you heard about that? It's River Ridge? Yeah, River Ridge. Ridge. It's like this huge, yeah. I mean, really anyone who's listening, if you're in real estate, check out around River Ridge in Indiana Maybe. because that area, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. But also E-Town, the battery plant. Uh, yeah. So Between I... Those two places, Louisville's right in the middle. Yeah, it was crazy. I was just reading something uh, maybe like three days ago about Riverview Ridge uh, project because it's a large, large commercial, you know, that's going in there. And it was something crazy, like the the amount of workers. It was like uh, like 40,000 workers that they were going to need, and they only have housing right now and available housing for like 8,000 or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So my, my mom's building yeah. a neighborhood over so, there. So there's so many uh, apartments going in over there. It's unreal. That that and uh, car wash stations. I don't know how many car wash stations Century Street needs, but there's like eight of them. <laughs> Nine of them. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know why, but some I read this Twitter post and someone was like, if there's a car wash, a McDonald's, <laughs> like it, in terms of like... Figuring out where development's yeah. going. It's like you'll see a an expressway with a gas station, a McDonald's, and a car wash. You know development's going oh, that yeah. way. And, it, and then when you think about it, it's like out towards Mount Washington where they got all these new shopping centers and stuff. The first thing and the only thing that has stood there for the past five years before they put in all this nice retail was a McDonald's and a car wash. Yeah. Same right. thing with Middletown. And when you go past Cal, car wash, and it's not a McDonald's, but... They have like a little shopping center, but there's a car wash and a Thornton's right there as you go down towards Lake Forest. Funny you mentioned the McDonald's because that's what they say that McDonald's isn't in the money of flipping burgers. They're in the oh, money real, of real estate, estate business. Yeah. yeah. Ray Kroc. Just, just the front. Man, that looks, that's beautiful. What time are we at? Man, that's gorgeous, dude. And then, uh, so how I get the, so this is the basement that we finished out. Super nice. Got a laundry center there. <laughs> yeah. Because you figure you got 18 beds, and then you have a, a pool and a, a hot tub, and it has, also has an outdoor all-year-round shower. And and so you got to figure at least like 60 towels probably every turnover. And the way things are booking right now, it's same-day checkout, same-day check-in. Mm -hmm. And so my cleaning team, like, literally needs as much laundry as I can fit in places. Mm -hmm. And so that's, yeah, we have three three washers and dryers. Awesome. So oh, guys. shit. Dang, those are cool <laughs> yeah. looking. Wait, wait I've never see seen a washer and dryer. It's like gorgeous. Um, so even, like, the turf and stuff like that, this turf came from Nashville, Tennessee Titans stadium awesome. for the yeah. listeners would you care if we linked to the booking yeah go ahead well right, yeah we'll saying. link to your airbnb yeah. profile and um, we we like to conclude this is, this is the outdoor shower yeah shower head uh i put hydrants horizontally so like this is uh like my bread and butter or like of satisfaction i get from doing a renovation is more so that like the creativity and so i have literally i think less than 800 bucks in this outdoor shower it has a, I think it's a three foot by one and a half foot, uh, huge rainfall shower head fed by two, uh, hydrants that are horizontally ran. So they actually are closing the water off inside the house, not outside. And so theoretically we haven't been through an entire year yet, but theoretically it should be able to use, be used out all, outdoor all year round. And then it has a dual purpose. So I have a hot tub right next to it. And then the pool is like another 20 feet away from that. And so on a hot tub, if you have a guest that like dumps a beer in and you have a turnover literally within five hours of another person checking in, by the time you, you know, have to drain it and fill it up, it takes time consuming. So all of our hot tubs, they have uh, sump pumps that you can throw in and drain it out in a matter of minutes, like five to eight minutes, they'll drain them out. So that problem solved. The refill is what's slow on all the properties. So typically it takes about 45 minutes, so maybe 50 minutes, uh, or 45 minutes, an hour on refilling 350 to 500-gallon hot tubs. And and not only, A, is it slow, but then you also just filled it with 60-degree water. Yeah. And so then you have a guest that's checking in a couple hours late, and they're bummed that they don't have hot, a hot water or a hot tub that's ready to use. And because it naturally is, it's going to only heat up about six to seven degrees per hour. So typically on a best case scenario, you're going to be like eight, nine o'clock is when it's going to be warm enough. And if you only have guests staying for two nights, they're like, well, the first night's, you know, bummed out and they're wanting like refund or whatnot. Part of that it's a whole nother guess there. But so with this, they're fed by three quarter inch hydrants. And so, and they're also, I have it, the hot and the cold. And so I can fill that tub and it'll be 85, 90 by the time it gets done. And I can fill it in like less than 20 minutes. 
That's lit. Amazing. Yeah. That's some, that's some Airbnb engineering. Yeah. And all for, like I said, less than 800 bucks. That's that incredible. is awesome. So, this yeah. has been a great episode. We usually conclude it with three blitz round questions. If business meetings had a walk-up song, what would your walk-up song be? Business meetings had a walk-up song. All right. So, you know, before the athletes yeah. come out on the court. So I don't know necessarily what, what walk-up song it is, but I'm pretty faith-based in every aspect of my life right now. And, and my workers are as well too. And so one thing we tell everybody, no matter how terrible day the day before was, we start out the day saying it's going to be a good day. Oh yeah. Uh, And so, and that's followed by usually some kind of way FM radio station blasting all day long. And and it's pretty hard for a neighbor to come up and like complain about music being blasted when it's Christian music. Yeah. Fair enough. Spreading the love. So ice cube, good day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. The next question is. After a long day, you got one activity to decompress. What you doing? Oh, to decompress. So I have a, a favorite meal I like to reward myself, and that is uh, Floyd County Brewery. It's actually on the way home, and uh, it's the closest brewery to my house. And because I live out by Caesars, a little bit of countryside out there. And anywho, they have a Southwest burger that's unbeatable, and just a beer, and just decompress. That's my I don't know, every, every other Beat, weekend. Beer and every burger. Month, Shout out to Floyd County Brewery. Uh, yes, sir. The yeah. last, yeah, the last question is if, no, it's not if, it's what book has had the biggest impact Or if you don't read life. a movie. The or biggest career. book. All right, so I would, again, going back faith-based, I would just say the Bible. So it's my God, whether that's business-related or personal-related. But, yeah, as far as business-specific, I would say a very easy starter. I, a lot of people just, like, they're so financially illiterate. And they're like, how did you start? Like, well, how do you understand things? And I'm like, well, it just came naturally to me, mostly. I've always been a numbers guy. And, like, even in college classes, like, so I have a, a bachelor's in from OSU for applied ag- agribusiness and applied economics is my degree. And with that, I mean, they were going over, you know, basic liabilities and assets and stuff like that. Nothing really too in deep. But I'm like, you know, I've already know that, but I don't feel like the general public knows that. And so what I recommend people starting out is actually Robert Kiyosaki's, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And just that was not only a financial literacy, but B, more so the mindset reprogram, the rewiring that, hey, like there's plenty of opportunity out there. It's just because of you, like, Mostly your childhood, you grew up living this sacrity, you know, limit limited mindset of like scarcity. And hey, the world is your like your playground if you go out and you change that mindset. Yeah, get out so, the damn house. Yeah, every Absolutely. day's a school day. Yeah, yeah. Every day's recess. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great episode. Thanks for coming on. Yep. Thanks hey, for inviting. Thank you.